Good morning, everyone. We are going to start our worship service a little bit differently as today is the day in which we represent our veterans who are living with us and amongst us and um, who selflessly uh, gave service to our country, sacrificing uh, their family time and, and such. So with um, that honor and dignity that we show for them, would you please rise for the presentation of the colors. Color Guard, Forward March. So everybody can see you. Yep, come on up. Right? Color guard, post the colors. Present arms. I pledge allegiance to the flag of the United States of America and to the republic for which it stands, one nation, under God, indivisible, with liberty and justice for all. We will now hear our national anthem.
welcome to this very special, wonderful day. Please join with me in our responsive call to worship found in your bulletin. We gather here today to express our gratitude to you, God, for this new day which opens possibilities to us that we've never had before. We thank you, God, for your presence in our lives and for filling our days with opportunities and hope. From the beginning of time, you have created this world for us and given us control over it. With the power and presence of your Holy Spirit in our lives, we will take these gifts and use them to our fullest potential. In this spirit of gratitude and devotion, let us all come together to worship our God. Let us pray. Our Lord of God, our Lord of love, forgiveness and healing, with love in our hearts and caring community surrounding us with fresh possibilities for our growth and endless possibilities for us to express our caring and support for others and for the countless ways that we receive your love and support. We thank you now. We thank you for your spirit that leads us and for this time and place where it can gather in peace and quiet, in compassion and understanding, and in our faith and in our seeking. With your love, draw us near, make us whole, lift us up, stretch us to grow, and challenge our hearts and our minds as you lead us now and always. This we pray as we join together in that which God taught us to pray, saying, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. And forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Provide us the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. And good morning again to everyone on this uh, Veterans Recognition, um, this new members received, and this Sacrament of Holy Communion uh, Sunday. It is a full and fabulous Sunday, and we are thrilled that you are here with us. 
Um, I would ask that you take the friendship registers that you found on the outside aisles of your pews, uh, sign your name, and, and if you're visiting with us, leave us some of your contact information so we can reach out and welcome you to our community. Um, we uh, welcome a little bit from now uh, 13 new members into our congregation, which is very exciting. They are fabulous people that you are going to want to get to know. And to make that a little easier for you, we are going to gather them around the Japanese maple outside during coffee hour, which is where coffee hour will be, out in the courtyard. So please be sure to take a moment to introduce yourself and greet them. Um, I want to thank all of our veterans who were here today. Um, and if you wouldn't mind just taking one more moment and please standing so we can applaud you and give you our thanks. Um, it is also a very exciting um, day here. If you haven't walked through uh, Fellowship Hall or the library, you will see that Rooms of the View is under construction and on its way to being. Our tickets for the gala are on sale. You can get them through the website or you can go to the main office. Um, general admission tickets are $30 um, and can be purchased in advance. Everything is electronic now, so you will need your phone um, in order to to get into the party or a scan ticket. Um, so um, it is our one and only large church fundraiser. Uh, it is a great party on opening night. So uh, we hope that as many of you who are available to join us will do so. Um, and then next Sunday is what we call Rooms of the View Sunday. It is Sunday that uh, Rooms of the View is up in full swing on its last day. Julianne is going to be preaching and she is going to be doing a special spirituality and the arts Sunday. So she has put out a call for all artists to submit uh, photographs of their work. And she will be highlighting them in the service next week. I will not be submitting a picture that I have drawn. <laughs> but I will thoroughly appreciate all of your skills and talents. Uh, our annual food drive is, as you know, up and going because you fulfilled 100% of the spots needed and now we just need you to bring us that food. So if you could do that, um, perishable goods between November 14th, anytime now, um, for canned goods and perishable goods between November 14th and 18th, we will then give out uh, 17 um, baskets full of deliciousness, turkeys all the way down to every fixing that um, families will need for Thanksgiving. And so we really appreciate your assistance with that. So those are my announcements for the day. And now I'm going to turn it over to Philip Bettencourt for a surprise that's not in your bulletin. Thank you, Laura. Uh, I want to uh, take a moment uh, to thank you and the church community on behalf of both me and my family for the kindness and uh, love and support you have shown as my family mourns the loss of my cousin Ryan. So thank you. Uh, that's a personal note besides what I'm sharing now, which is, uh, as Laura mentioned, the song the Teen Choir is not about to sing is, is now about to sing, is not in the program. And as they sing in uh, Send in the Clowns, my fault, I fear. Uh, so that's uh, my apologies that it didn't make it into the program. They are going to come up and 
sing a song called The Greatest Love of All that I have only ever thought of as Whitney Houston's song, but was performed, was written by Michael Masser and Linda Creed. And it, uh, I believe the lyrics of the song about finding the greatest love of all inside of yourself uh, speaks to many of us and certainly speaks to our children as we discuss their mental, emotional, and physical health this uh, season at our church. Thank you.
And we come to a, uh, a, a time in the service um, and during our church here that, uh, that I love so much, that I know that we all love so much, and that is the reception of new members into our midst. And as we read your names, we invite you to come forward and join us here. And as I shared with a, uh, with a group of new members before, that I envision this as kind of like a, a big circle, except that you all in your, in your pews. But when we're all up here together, we're all, we're all just kind of looking at each other, and, um, and it's, a, it's a beautiful feeling. So, first of all, um, MJ Berriam. And Gail Caruso. And Mary Catherine and Christopher Hawking. And Allison Klutz and Brad Sforza. And Katie and McCabe. Children. And Alex and Patrick Morrow. And Barbara Nash and Don Erium. And Megan and Jeff Prince. Now, united together and guided in scripture as a family, as we are, let us listen to these words from the Apostle Paul, who wrote, you are no longer strangers and sojourners, but you are equally citizens with the saints and members of the household of God, built upon the foundation of the apostles and the prophets, Christ Jesus alone being the cornerstone in whom the whole structure is joined together and grows into a holy temple in Christ, in whom you also are built into it for a dwelling place of God in the spirit. So by your baptism, uh, most of you a long, long time ago, you were made one of us uh, with the body of Christ. And today we rejoice in your spiritual journey that has brought you here to this time and place and we give you thanks we give thanks for every community and every spiritual home in the past that has been your spiritual home, and we celebrate your presence with us today and in the future. So let me ask you, this is the one question that we hadn't, that we hadn't prepared, but it's a very easy question. Um, is it your desire to become a member of the Southport Congregational Church and to our family of faith? If so, please say, it is. It is. All right. Excellent. Understanding that we all come from many backgrounds and represent many faith traditions, I ask all of you, the members of Southport Congregational Church, to please stand and join with me in welcoming our new members. We believe God calls us to recognize the spirit of the living Christ as the most real and important thing in the universe. Will you join us in our striving to grow in this faith? We believe we are all called to a daily commitment of letting God's spirit remold our lives from within. Will you join us in our struggle to become more Christ-like in all areas of our lives? We believe we are called to be one family, bound together by love and therefore by practicing forgiveness and mercy 
to seek in every way to make that love believable for each other. Will you join us in seeking to fulfill this mutual ministry? On behalf of the Southport Congregational Church and our Board of Deacons and all of our members, we are thrilled to extend to you, as we call it, the, the, the right hand of, of Christian fellowship and welcome, full welcome into our family of faith. Welcome. It's great to be together. I'm going to invite you to please stand and we're going to get to greet everybody up here together. Let's, I'm sorry, to sit, not stand. You're already standing. Go ahead and sit. <laughs> it's so great. Um, start our hymn. Children are invited to leave with Sydney to head to the chapel.
And as we enter into this time of prayer and meditation, I ask you to keep the following people in your hearts and minds and spirits. For Agnes Bigarolo, a 10-year volunteer of our Carousel Thrift Shop who died last week. She was a friend of many and a great contributor to our church and our ministries, and so we hold Agnes and her family in prayer. So too do we hold Philip Fettencourt's family in prayer after the death of his 20-year-old cousin, Ryan, who died in a car accident. We send all of our love to Philip and his family in this incredibly difficult time. And we pray for Laura's family, the Hutchinsons, and the death of her uncle, who died by suicide, who had a service yesterday in Maine. We pray for his daughter, Lynn, for the entire Hutchinson family as they gather together to love one another and to move forward into a new chapter. So too do we pray for all those in our congregation who are healing from surgeries, who are continuing treatment for various forms of cancer and chemotherapy. We pray for the continued healing of Irene Santa and Margie Zellers. And we just pray that the Lord may guide them in this healing time, give them strength and resiliency. And we pray for our veterans, that God may bless and uplift those who have fought for this country. And we pray that God may heal those wounds that remain, wounds that are physical, emotional, psychological, and spiritual that remain in veterans across our country. And we pray joyfully and in thanksgiving for our new members and also for the new children who have joined our church with their parents that we may continue to join together to be one family embodying the love of Christ and coming together now in prayer as we do. So let us pray. God of our comings and goings, arrivals and departures, mornings and evenings, and all of the wandering in between. We thank you, Lord, that our lives are dynamic, that you have imbued our world with so much energy, so many places to be, places to go, people to meet, that we take highways and byways and side roads and trails to see, to try and do it all. But Lord, every once in a while, we thank you that we encounter something which makes us stop, makes us slow down, makes us notice, linger, and want to stay. Here, Lord, we thank you that you have called us to be here. And so, Lord, on this day in which we welcome and honor those who have paused and noticed something, some spirit in the air of welcome, some warmth in a smile of a stranger or friend, some word in a voice from a pulpit which, though spoken in time and place, spoke of something eternal. On this day in which we welcome and honor those people, we thank you and we pray that we may feel at home. Lord, it is our call and our mission to make this world, to make our communities, to make this church a home for those who dwell here already, 
for those who have not yet walked through the doors, and for you, God, for your spirit to rest here in these hallowed halls, in these pews, in these hearts, and hands, and feet, and bodies, who we call family. Lord, on this day, we acknowledge that some things are worth staying for, some things are worth fighting for, and this, Lord, our families, our faith and the values it gives us, our communities, this we acknowledge as the sacred stuff of life, the unspeaking center in all of our prayers and our monologues, and so we thank you, and we pray that we may feel that comfort of home, that you may wash over us with your grace, your peace, and yes, Lord, your challenge, your challenge to extend that welcome, to extend our boundaries, to extend our families and our homes and communities ever outward, so that love may grow and light may extend ever more, ever more deeply, ever more beautifully, inspired and enlightened by your presence and word. Lord, this we pray as one family, under God, indivisible. Amen. As we transition into our time of offering, I invite you to look at the words in our processional hymn. I don't know about you, but I've heard our, our anthems and our Oh Beautiful for Spacious Skies so many times. And this morning, those words really stuck out to me. May God thy gold refine, till all success be nobleness and every gain divine. God, mend thine every flaw and confirm thy soul self-control. Our time of offering is a time when we can make our gains divine, when we can make our success our nobleness, where we can refine our gold by bringing it together as a community so that it may feed us and feed the world as well, that we may confirm our souls in our giving and in our work. And so it is in that spirit of generosity, of self-control, of God's redefinition of all that we have that I invite you to this morning's offering.
please join with me in our unison prayer of dedication. Loving God, we thank you for granting each of us the ability to make your kingdom of love alive and tangible for ourselves and for others. Receive these gifts as an expression of our love and faith that they may grant new life and love to those in need, hope to those in pain, and freedom to us all. Amen. You have in your bulletins, uh, there's a, a page of scripture passages. We're going to read some of them, and the rest are for you to read on your own, and we're going to refer to, uh, to many of them in today's message. Um, the first one, we're going to be reading the first five together, which are about five sentences. And um, just want to point out that in the first one, so we're going to read from the first one down through and including the one from Matthew 25. Um, and these passages, they spell out what God envisions, what, how God wants us to live, and how God wants us to treat each other in community. And um, the first one, we will not be reading the part that is in brackets. We're going to read, uh, we're going to talk about that later. But it explains that this word mammon, that, you know, we've, we've heard from, from time to time, you can't serve God and mammon. What that really um, means is anything that you hold of, that you value, that competes with God, with your allegiance to God. So we've, uh, it's been interpreted as money, which can be one thing, um, or it can be neutral, it can actually serve the will of God. Um, but, but what mammon really means is anything that we possess that really competes, that doesn't agree with God's vision. Um, that's why you can't serve them both, because they go in different directions. So, let's join together um, in these first uh, five readings, all right, beginning with Matthew 6, 24. Jesus says, no one can serve two masters. Either you will hate the one and love the other, or you will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and mammon. And then the second passage is the same theme. This one's from the Old Testament, Joshua. Choose this day whom you will serve, whether the gods of your fathers or the gods in the land you are living. As for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. And then we get into what looks like uh, in the third passage. This, it, we might cons be considered, this is God's platform, Okay. Um, and this is from Micah, and it says, What does the Lord require of you but to do justice, to love kindness, and to walk humbly with your God? And then Jesus spells it out in our fourth verse from Matthew 22. This is the greatest commandment. Am I in the wrong place here? Let's see. Oh, you don't have that? Let's see. What do you have? Okay, I'm just going to keep going. All right, love, this is the greatest commandment. Love the Lord your God, here we go, and love your neighbor as yourself. <laughs> and then we're going to conclude with Matthew 25, more specifics. Um, Jesus said, whatever you did for one of the least of these brothers and sisters of mine, you did for me. 
So may God bless our understanding and living of these words of abundant life. So today we're going to be thinking about our priorities regarding, here we go, (laughs) religion and politics. Some people are thinking, Paul, don't go there. Please don't go there. Don't go there. I'm going to go there. I'm going to go there. So how many of your blood pressures went up, you know, when I mentioned the P word, just mentioning that word, politics? Why? It's a highly, isn't that a highly, it's a highly, highly charged word, right? Wow, it has so much power because politics deals with things that we deeply care about, doesn't it? Things that we're invested in. Things that we hold dear. Politics deals with our priorities and our values. And it's the system and the mechanics of how we actually go about manifesting and protecting and supporting things that matter the most to us. Things that affect our lifestyle, and our economics. And sometimes these things are mammon. Mammon. And it creates the structure of how we live with one another in community. That's what it does, functionally. So our politics reflects how we think the world around us should be. That's what we decide. What we think our relationships with others should be like. And in doing so, our politics makes statements through decisions, through laws that are decided about who we think we are, what our rights are, and who we think others are and what their rights are. So it delineates who we are in relationship with each other and to what extent we are our brother and sister's keeper and how specifically that gets accomplished. How responsible should we be for ourselves? And how responsible should we be for others? What duty do we have to our neighbor? And specifically, who is our neighbor? Literally, who counts? And how much do they count? Laws literally determine these things in terms of like census, voting, so forth. So politics represents our understanding of our neighbors and ourselves to what extent we care for our neighbors. How do we understand ourselves in relationship with each other? Who are we? And then comes the question of whose are we? It gets into who's the master? Are we the masters of it all? Are we the highest God, or is something else the master? And who is setting the vision for how things should be? Is it fluid? Does it come from someplace? Who sets the vision for all of these important values that we decide upon? And we might say, therefore, to whom do we owe our greatest allegiance in all of this? This is really old. 
People have been doing this and thinking about this for a really, really, really long time, back in 426. St. Augustine wrote a book called The City of God. And in that book, his whole thesis was that our, our, our godly, our theological, our spiritual values and visions are supposed to inform the political structure that comes out of that. That's what he said. So this is very, very old. So politics, as we see, is actually really profoundly theological. Profoundly theological. And separably theological. Like, it also deals with what's the role of grace and justice? Leniency, tough on crime. How do we deal with those things? Who says? And stewardship. Deals with stewardship. Do we have a duty to try to level the playing field, equal opportunity? Who says? Who says? And why? What's the source of authority? Should we have uh, equal educational opportunity? Who says? And why? And how does that work? How about health care? Who says and why? And how does that work? Who decides? How much are we called to share what we've got? Political and theological. How much do we keep ourselves? How much is for a personal game? How much is for greater good? The scriptures actually deal with us. To what degree are we independent, that my rights are supreme? And to what degree are we part of a greater whole? Are we interdependent? <clears throat> Questions that are completely theological and political. And they've always been. And that's the way it's always going to be. You can't separate them because politics and religion are both dealing with much of the same thing, the same issues. How do we live in community? The big, biggest difference, I think, is who do you think is in charge? Where and from whom is the vision coming? To whom do you owe your allegiance? Politics and religion. So I think politics is kind of cool um, in a lot of ways because it comes from the word polis, right? A lot of us know this. And polis means it's, it's Greek and it means community or citizens. Community, polis, politic. So politics by definition is really about how do we live and act with one another in community, in the polis, right? The common unity which is also how we get communion, our common union. What is our common union? So what does this have to do with church, faith, religion, God? And of course the answer is everything. Because our religion says, from Genesis, everyone is created by God. It's one of the very first things in chapter one. And we together, collectively, this is in the New Testament, everyone is the body of Christ. You are the body of Christ, it says. The whole of it. Everyone is included. Nobody's out of the body of Christ, whoever you are. We are holy. We are whole. That's where the word holy comes from. They come from the same root word. Because we're all created by God, and because we're all the body of Christ, therefore we treat each other as if we are one. Because... That's what we are. 
And according to our religion, each part is valued and therefore deserving of that level of honor, deserving of that level of honesty and dignity. And this understanding comes with a whole list of therefores. Therefore, according to Jesus, we're to love each other in what way he says, as I have loved you. Beautiful. And that sets a certain level of behavior and respect that we have with one another. It sets a certain level of responsibility and duty. He says whatever, he says, goes on to say, um, let me specifically talk about who you are in relation to the poor, the troubled, the outcast. He says, whatever you have done to the least of these, you did it to me. Good or bad. Very specific, and of course, none of these, these things aren't a surprise to any one of you. I mean, you've heard all these, and you're familiar with all these, you know. Do unto others as you would have others do unto you. Who are we in relationship and community with each other? That's both politics and religion. Similar stuff. And then Jesus also deals with the issue of integrity. In terms of the relationship between what we profess to believe versus how we actually behave, right? And he says some very, very unvarnished words here that are a little hard to say, but he says them. He says, anyone who claims to love God yet treats their brothers or sisters without love is a liar. Ouch. And more tough words, watch out. He says, and whoever is not with me is against me. That's pretty extreme. Whoever is not with me is against me. Now that might sound harsh. It kind of sounds a little harsh to me. But here's a weird thought that is true. Do you know why Jesus died on a cross? What killed him? Was it religious? Was it political? Or was it both? It was both. It's because he lost an election. I'm not talking about a moral election. I'm talking about there was an actual, as we know, there was an actual election, political election. Now his values conflicted with the political and with the predominant religious values and laws of the time, but the thing that actually got him to the cross was this. We remember, we know what happened. Pontius Pilate, the religious governor, secular political leader, stood face to face, toe to toe, with Jesus, literally. And they're looking at each other. And two things happened. First, Pilate asked face to face with Jesus. He said, what is truth? 
point blank he asked. He asked to be informed by Christ himself. But then what did he do? Instead of listening or considering, it says he turned away. Right away. Why? Because he couldn't afford to hear the truth. He couldn't afford to weigh the truth, to let go, take the chance that it might make him let go of what he was committed to. So he asked what is truth, but he cared more about preserving his agenda. And that's what Jesus means by you can't serve God and mammon. You can't serve your agenda and God's agenda if they are opposed. So that was the first thing that happened with that little interaction. And the second thing was a political act that immediately followed. The crowd was restless. And so to avoid a mob scene, Pilate did a very rational thing in his mind. He did the practical thing. He gave the crowd a choice. He put Jesus' life and priorities up to vote. They could vote with their voices. That's what he asked them to do. And that's what they did. Who would they choose? What were their values? At that moment, that was the moment. Do you vote for Barabbas? Or do you vote for Jesus? And as we know, they cast their votes by voice. And they said, give us Barabbas. That's who they wanted. It was a political vote presented by the governor. Jesus lost the vote. And we deal with those consequences. They chose, we all choose. And that's exactly what we're supposed to do. That's what it's all about. It doesn't matter if you know the Ten Commandments. It doesn't matter if you say you believe the Ten Commandments. It matters if you choose the Ten Commandments. It doesn't matter if you know what Jesus' values are. It doesn't matter if you say you believe in Jesus. It matters if you live it. So what God says to us, choose. Choose this day whom you will serve. We all have the freedom and we all have the responsibility to process and to figure out what is supposed to lead what. May our choices and may all of the choices that we make in our life 
for the sake of our own integrity, be that which God would have us ideally choose. Where does God fit? May God and Christ be our guide. God nourishes us, Christ nourishes us in word and prayer and spirit, through the strength, through the support, through the care of one another, and invites us to this table, this is his table, in which he says all are welcome. And this table is open for all who come to seek and for all who believe for all who come to be a part of God's light and universal love and blessing and justice and grace. We come not because we must, but because we may. We come not because we are perfect and complete on our own. We come seeking the greater wisdom and love and support and presence of God in our life and in the world. So come, for all things are now ready. And as we come to this table, we recall how Christ took the bread, and he blessed it, he gave thanks, he broke it, he gave it to his disciples. And he said, this is my body, which is broken for you. Take and eat of it. And as often as you do, remember me, ministering to you in his name, in his spirit, in his presence. We give you this bread.
Let's join together in the presence of Christ. On that same night, after dinner, Jesus took the cup. And after saying a prayer over it, he poured it out and he gave it to his disciples. And he said, take and drink, for this is the cup of the new covenant, the new promise, the promise of forgiveness. Take and drink of it. And as often as you do so, remember me. So ministering to you in his name, we offer you this cup.
This is the cup of forgiveness poured out for us all. Now, having received grace so freely given, let us say grace. Loving God, host of this cosmic dinner party prepared from the beginning of time, we come to you with great thanksgiving, for you have prepared a table which nourishes us with such simple elements. Water and flour given time and leaven, fruit of the vine given time to rest. So too, Lord, have you taken us, your simple ingredients, and made us something more made us one body, one community, which, when gathered around a table, can be a family, can be a place of home. And so with this Thanksgiving, Lord, we thank you that no conversations are off the table. We thank you that there is love and light and food and nourishment for all. So may we rise to it, Lord. May you bless us to rise to our challenges and our occasions, to become one body, grateful, loving, and merciful. In the name of Jesus, who gave such great love that we may be nourished so well. Amen.
as we go from this place into this beautiful world and this beautiful life that God has given to us and gives us again and again, may God be in your head and in your understanding. May God be in your eyes and in your seeing and your perceiving. May God be in your ears and in your hearing. May God be in your mouth and in your speaking and words that, that can heal or harm. May God be in your heart and in the fullness of your loving and being, may God be in your hands and in your embracing and uplifting and empowering. Now and forevermore, in the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit.